podcast we've got a big surprise for you today carolyn and i are here to talk to detective o'work aka michael devine about his experience on the undoing and his background as a real life detective sergeant for the new york police department a third generation law enforcement officer michael spent 22 years working for the nypd 12 of which for the chief of detectives office he retired from the force this year to focus on his acting career which includes roles in the wolf of wall street law and order mozart in the jungle orange is the new black big time adolescence the post Ava DuVernay's When They See Us, and CBS's Limitless. So without further ado, Michael Devine. Welcome, Michael. We're so happy to have you on Big Little Podcast. Oh, thank you. I am very happy to be here. And that was quite the, quite the introduction. I really appreciate that. Hey, you're so welcome. So let's get into it. My first question for you is, how did you originally get into law enforcement? Well, I was acting first. And okay. then, yeah, and then a few years into acting, I kind of felt a bit of a higher call. My, my grandfather was a detective my, in the NYPD. My father was a, a federal agent. And although no one in my family pushed me into it, in fact, they were shocked when I even started thinking about it, I, I just felt, uh, I know it sounds a bit corny, but I really felt like I, I, I had a, a need to serve my community. I wanted to help others and acting just, I had fulfilled some goals, um, which were great, but at the time, it felt fairly hollow. I just still felt like I needed to do more. And I was, I remember I was 26 at the time. And I said, okay, let me just give this till I'm 30. And I'm, uh, now I'm near, near approaching 50. But uh, yeah, I stayed with it for 22 years. I, I, uh, I did not expect a 22 year career, but uh, no regrets. And uh, I'm glad that I did it. I, uh, as you just described, I retired just a few months ago. So I'm, I'm, recalibrating and readjusting and, and uh, getting used to civilian life. But that was sort of the, the, the path that, that drove me there. And it's, it's actually a hard, hard question to answer because I, I don't know. It just came deep from within. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. So you also have a pretty prolific music career. Uh, I understand you play the bagpipes, um, which is awesome. Not so well. What is, <laughs> well, I mean, I think the bagpipes are really hard, right? They're, they're a very complicated instrument. They are. So I think anyone. Who I figured what could be. Yeah. What could be so hard? It's nine notes. I did not think <laughs> it would be that hard, but it's it's extremely hard. Um, but yeah, it was just something. I don't know where. It just I think there was some St. Patrick's Day parade, and I said I'm going to give the bagpipes a try. And I yeah, I love it. I love the sound of them, but I never I'm not quite perfected it yet. A very little time to practice, as I have neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure that they love that. Uh, so what made you go into performing and music? Because you kind of, there you have two different, you have a, a path as an actor and, and as a musician. So talk a little bit about both of those. You know what did it? I, I, the acting was always, that was like, you know, you ask a lot of actors, when did it start? And for me, like, like so many others, it was birth, <laughs> I think. And it was, I just, I felt that path the whole time. And I was doing the school plays and then community theater. So that path was there, but what happened it really hit me big time when I saw Les Miserables in, in oh. October, October 24th, 1987. And uh, it, it just, it, it wowed me to the point where I'm still wowed by it today. I've seen it hundreds of times. I ended up working on it, never in it, but um, 
I wanted to learn how to sing. So, and that was the style I wanted. It was sort of like this operatic meets Broadway with a little like, it has its, its own style. Do you both know, know the show? Oh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I, and it's still, it, it, it's, it's, it, I love it today. I'm still awed by it. And I remember standing outside the stage door asking every actor if they taught voice. Like, do you, teach, do you teach voice? No, no. But everyone pointed me toward Ed Dixon, who was the Tenardier at the time. And uh, so he became my voice teacher. So I, I, at that point, like the acting and the, uh, and the singing kind of came together. And that's always been the style I stayed with. You can tell listening to your album that you have that operatic quality of your voice. I was so blown away. By oh, the power thank you. In your voice. It was really something else. Very oh, cool. Oh, thank you. I, yeah. I appreciate that. That's, uh, it's a talent. I'll tell you, I certainly couldn't sing like that. I, you know, I, I started just, I mean, I got some really good lessons, but also I just tried to emulate. It was almost doing an impression of those singers that yeah. I liked hearing. And, uh, and, and then, you know, uh, luckily, like with a, with a good voice teacher. In fact, all, almost I had three voice teachers and, and all of them were in Les Miserables. Wow. Wow. That's a very cool. Well, would that, you say that would be a dream role then one day to... Jean Valjean, perhaps. <laughs> you know, I, it, it keeps changing as I keep changing. Going older, I was, you know, it was, it was being one of the students, and then it was, you know, uh, um, there was a time where it was Valjean, and, and sure, that's a dream role, absolutely. I'd also love to play Javert. I'd love to play Thenardier. We'll, we'll see when and if it ever happens, and where I am in, in life at that point. Well, we'll be there if it ever happens, front row, center. <laughs> awesome. I hope so. I hope. I hope maybe one day. That's a dream yet unfulfilled. Absolutely. So what can you tell us about how your career in law enforcement has informed your acting career? You've taken a lot of roles that are, you know, as playing a detective or a sergeant or some sort of law enforcement officer. So what can you tell us about that? Right. Well, you know, I kind of, I thought there would be some marketability in that because there's so many cop shows and so many cop movies and, and, and all those roles. And, and I thought that there'd be something I could bring to the table being a real cop with a degree in acting. So I've been a cop for a few years and I finally got to a place where I could get a day off. So I started just doing some background work and then I was consulting on uh, the show Third Watch. Okay. And uh, after they actually came to my precinct and did a ride along with us. So after spending some time with us, they actually threw me a small role on, on Third Watch. So that got me my SAG card. So I started at, at that point, like saying, okay, this is what I bring to the table. It's what separates me from uh, other people. You know, it's, it's just a, a special skill. And uh, so I filled up my resume with those types of roles. And I found that it, it could actually, you know, get me through, get me into the room. And then eventually I did find a point where I started to break away. And, you know, even though I'm, I most recently played a cop in The Undoing, um, I do find myself returning to it from time to time, but you know, when I get a part that's not a cop, it's, it's a double win. So I, I, I'm, and, and a lot of the roles I'm looking at now and kind of chasing down are, are not the cop roles. So to, to go back to your question, it's what I brought to the table initially. And it's, I guess it's what I still bring, but uh, I kind of, I, I, I just, I used it to my advantage. It got me in the room and, uh, and sometimes it still does, but uh I, I, I do uh, I do love to break away every now and then. Yeah, why not? It's fun to play different characters, right? Oh, yeah. Very cool. So I'm interested in knowing how, like, the real investigations that you've been involved with as a cop are, are different or similar to what we see on TV. Like, have you had, uh, you know, any crossovers? Do you, do you feel like when you're on set and you're playing a detective, 
uh, or a cop, at, you know, that you're like, well, this is how this should be done. You mentioned that you were, you, you got brought in to, to advise on set with that. So like, how, how has that um, differed from what we see on TV? It depends on the project, but a lot of times I also know my place as an actor. And things like The Undoing, they had a great technical advisor on set. And it was so well written. I mean, David E. Kelly is such a master of the genre. So I, I really kind of just followed the path that was in front of me. There were a couple things that I brought as far as like to the character that were really not part of the procedure. I, I just kind of, um, I, I trusted in the, uh, the um, those who were who brought me to that place. That I trusted in the director and I trusted in, in the writing and my fellow actors. So I, I, I stepped back and, and let them take over. I really didn't want to, um, you know, I just, I, I, I kind of, a bit, but I went there as an actor, and that's that's what I brought. But there were there were other projects where uh, I would say, okay, that's that may not be the way it's happening. But there's always a, a delicate balance, you know. One of the uh, sort of mantras that my uh, my friend, who's a tech advisor on so many things, he always says, "Well, we're not making a documentary." And there are a couple of things, even in the undoing. I, I was I, I lurk in some of the message boards, and somebody was saying, "Wow, the." The police really dropped the ball. They really screwed up this one. They should have done this. They should have done that. And uh, I actually, it gave me a smile, but I'm thinking, you know, they were saying, well, what about the bloody footprints? And what about, uh, why didn't they look for the, uh, why didn't they search the beach house? And of course, I could rationalize it and say, well, A, it's A, it's yeah. a TV show. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So there are a couple of things as an investigator in real life, we probably, we would have done. And there, there are a couple things which just can't be covered. And even, even when a show is six hours, it can't, it just can't be covered. <laughs> or it may have been covered off screen. We also right. can't show it. Um, getting back to, to the original question, uh, it, there, it depends on the project. And as far as in, investigations, I, I kind of, I'll watch some stuff and roll my eyes. But um, with it, also something called the, in law enforcement, we called yeah. it the CSI effect. Because there's so many things on TV, which don't, yeah, you know, that don't necessarily exist in real life. There's, there's some technology that doesn't quite exist. So, and a lot of people want their investigations wrapped up within the hour. So we, we in law enforcement had a tough time, you know, because some things, there's so many things that need to be done. And they, they are, unfortunately, always wrapped up in the, uh, in the hour. Yeah, that was my next question for you. Was, was it ever frustrating from a law enforcement perspective, having people that have, you know, experienced the CSI effect and think that DNA takes, you know, two seconds with a little blue lit montage <laughs> to come back? Exactly. Yes. Yes. In fact, it was interesting. I, when I was on Limitless, we did something which wasn't scientifically possible at the time. We were able to actually, in science fiction, we were able to take a swab of DNA and get uh, a person's uh, pedigree and, and, or uh, breakdown. We were able to determine what they looked like based on a swab of DNA. Yep. At, the at the time, I rolled my eyes. but And that was only four or five years ago. Now you can actually do that. Wow. You can, you can take a swab of DNA and get uh, a, a person's likeness uh, based on, on, on strictly a strand of DNA to wow. a degree. It's not, it's not perfect. You can't determine age and things like that. But but uh, it's, it's possible now. So we're... I don't know. They 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 keep uh, leapfrogging, but eventually they'll come together. But, but you're right. It's science fiction does that all the time. It predicts things that then 
come into being. And it's, it's the beauty of this melding of your two careers is that you have the technical science side, but you also have the creative side that, you know, it must be really rewarding to see how those things kind of come together and predict, you know, fiction predicts truth and future. It's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is fun. It is fun. Very cool. Um, so you mentioned what your dream roles would be, but what is your favorite role that you've done so far? I think it's probably a combination of The Undoing, and I also loved playing James Tech on Limitless, and that was just a lot of fun. We just had so much fun, whereas The, the Undoing wasn't so much fun, but it was just an experience that I'll never forget, We're just working with those talented people and and uh you know the the fact that i was challenged to that degree as far as acting and, and what i needed to bring to the room uh those are probably my two favorite roles but for, for different reasons yeah so let's get into the undoing as we've been covering it this season we we have what a sh- what a ride beginning to end every week we had whiplash as to who we thought did it who didn't <laughs> so can you just talk a little bit about what your experience on set was like it was it was as much of a ride as it is uh, doing it as it was to watch it, but but for different reasons. I uh, even just getting the part was was a roller coaster because you know I auditioned just like any other audition, and then I, I kind of forgot it. Well, I forgot about it to a degree as much as you can, and I think like three weeks passed, and then they just when I'd forgotten about it, then they checked my availability, so I kind of got excited again, and then I relaxed again, and I kind of figured, all oh, right, I didn't hear anything, I probably didn't get it. And then I heard I was the director's choice. So then I got excited again, and then I didn't hear about it again. So I figured, well, somewhere it didn't work out. They brought somebody else in. So that was the first roller coaster. And then of course I ended up obviously getting it. Um, and then it was just getting to set and little by little, it was nice because easing into it, one of the first things we, we started with were the, the courtroom scenes. Really? And uh, so I, you can barely, I barely have much to do in the, I, if anything, in the, in the courtrooms. But if you notice, I was in the front row. Yeah. So it, it was, it, it was phenomenal for me. I just got to sit and watch these masters at work, you know, especially people like Noma. Oh. Who, she and I ended up becoming very good friends. We text all the time, oh. even though our characters don't interact. She and I, we, we just, we, we, we talk a lot. So I got to watch her, and then of course, one by one, these these art these brilliant artists get to testify. So I felt like I was slowly brought into it. So that was really good. And then in the midst of all the the courtrooms, we threw in that scene at the beach house. Yeah, I, it must have been about location. So we we went in and then we shot the beach house. So that was my first time I got to act with with Nicole Kidman. Um, and luckily, it was little by little. So eventually, when we got to the heavier stuff, like the interrogations, I was more relaxed on set. I had gotten to know, you know, the, the crew and some of the other actors. It was interesting because Nicole stays in character. Oh, wow. So, so, yeah. So by design, you know, we, we really didn't get too chatty. She kept mm-hmm. her distance. I kind of got the heads up that, that she'd be doing this because she, she stays in character and as obviously her characters are a bit antagonistic. So, <laughs> um, so it was, it was great. It wasn't, you know, till we, we shot all that heavier stuff that we really got to, 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 uh, to relax a bit. Wow. That's fascinating. It's cool. Yeah. I learned a ton from, from her and from Edgar. Wow. I, I bet. So also you got to work with David E. Kelly, who is pretty much a, a TV legend at this point. What was, what was it like working with him? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Uh, I never met him. <laughs> I, never, <laughs> I assumed he, cause we, we get, we got the, the scripts revised, you know, all the time. 
and he was he was pumping stuff out. He was just writing writing like crazy. But I never met him. Wow. And I, I know. That he, yeah, I never met him. I know that he had a, a approval in in casting me as the showrunner, but I think he. I, I think he stayed in LA the whole time. I'm not, I know he came to set, but I happened to miss him the one mm-hmm. or two days that he was there. Uh, but uh, no, I, I couldn't, that answer, that question I can't answer. I don't know. All right. Uh, so did you know who killed Elena Alves while you were filming? Or if, if not, who did you think did it while you were filming? I did know. You did know. Okay. I did know. Uh, because during the audition process, I, I, I read as much of the book as I could. Yep. So, and I assumed that as far as the killer went, that they were going to stick to the book. Okay. It wasn't until now that, it, you know, even people are saying that it, they were expecting it to differentiate itself, um, from the book. I didn't expect that. I kind of thought yep. all along. And then once I was hired, I got all six scripts at once. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I did know, and I, and I plowed right through them. There was yep. no, uh waiting a week yeah. for each one. No. <laughs> yeah, we wondered that because Big Little Lies differed a little bit from the book. So we wondered if this was going to be a departure from the text or not. And actually, having spoiled the text for myself beforehand, I was like, well, I'm going to be surprised if it is Jonathan at this point, because it seemed like they were going to make the big departure. So I ended up being surprised, even though I was spoiled by the book, which was great. Right. And from what I learned, even Gene, the author, wasn't sure. Yeah. If, uh, Wow. They were going to keep the same character. So, so I have a question. I'm going to go. If you had to answer who you thought did it, either as your character or as you, Mike Devine, and just like if you were your character going through the journey of the show, like who you thought, who your character would have thought did it, and then who, as you as a viewer, would have thought did it, would you have picked Jonathan for both, you know? As a character, I would have to stick with Jonathan because yeah. they're, um, and it was interesting during when we were shooting the courtroom, the uh, Richard, our assistant director, would always ask the audience who didn't know the, the well the, the the gallery in the in the courtroom of extras who they thought did it, and uh, they all had different things. But I always said, you know, I, Jonathan, of course, I you know we, we we put him there, we arrested him, and so I I wholeheartedly have to believe that it was Jonathan. As a viewer, I probably would have been duped with a lot of people thinking that the, in a show full of twists, there's going to be some twist. And I probably was hoping it, I, I wouldn't have wanted it to be Grace because that would have been some, some cheesy sleepwalking double <laughs> personality uh, resolution, which I thought would have been too silly. I probably would have liked it to have been like Franklin or yeah. maybe Henry, although he's just such a good kid. But I, oh. I love the dichotomy of the good kid being, you know, and, and also because his father's borderline a psychopath. So that, that could have been, that, that would have been interesting. I probably would have, if, if I think maybe Henry. Yeah. Yeah. We thought everybody under the sun <laughs> was a suspect. Every, <laughs> no. even back characters were like, maybe that person in the background did it. I don't know. We just were By design. Yeah. I had friends clever. blaming like, I think it's the maid. I think I'm like, you think it's Irma? You poor <laughs> Irma, the, the, the housekeeper? That's you never know. Yeah, you I mean, never Kelly's know. tricky I, like that. <laughs> I read one theory where I did it, um, which I, I liked. Um, and uh, a lot of a lot were a lot of theories were Edgar. So yeah, I, I loved reading people's theories, and that's how I realized. Well, I, I knew all along, but it was a reminder of just how brilliant David E. Kelly his script was because 
all along I was reading spoilers and nobody thought it was Jonathan. Yeah. And no, I, I am I'm like, that's the only thing you can really do is, is in a show full of twists is, is give them a non-twist at the end. And I know a lot of people are, are, uh, are polarized on the ending, but I just think it was a smart thing to do was to, uh, you know, uh, being the final twist is there is no twist. And to play into the idea that, you know, it almost always is the husband and we want to set up all of these complicated, you know, twists and turns. Well, we're all true crime addicts. We want to create things out of nothing. And then, you know, statistically, it is most likely the husband most of the time. So it, it made sense. So do you think that Detectives Mendoza and O'Rourke, your character, did a good job with the investigation? I do think that. In fact, there was a moment where uh, originally in the interrogation, you, you know, if you remember, she says, I want this to stop. Yeah. She originally said, I, I want a lawyer, but we kept going. And that's when I said to Edgar, I'm like, okay, at this moment we become bad cops because oh. we, we continue to ask questions when in fact she's asked for a lawyer. So A, it's either we're stupid or B, we're, we're dirty. So it, it was at that point, we actually, Edgar and I, I think we spoke to Suzanne and Nicole and saying, you know, may, what other options? Because we don't want to end up being dirty or bad or stupid cops. So we, that's where she says, I want this to stop. And that, wow. was clear, that was clearly worded. So it wasn't legally, uh, we weren't legally obligated to stop, to bring in a lawyer because I want this to stop doesn't really mean much right. legally. So it was, a, we kind of, you know, I'd like to think that we, we, we did the right things and we were good cops. We may have, you know, missed a few things, um, but again, it's, it's, it's TV. Uh, um, but, uh, no, I'm kind of, I'm kind of proud with the investigation and also the, the integrity of the cops and, and the fact that, sorry, but we were, we were right all along. Yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah. It won, in the first scene, the first episode, I kind of got the vibe that you were playing good cop and Edgar was playing bad cop. Did you guys kind of have a conversation about that at all? Like you were very sympathetic and... We did. And, and, and I think part of that was written that way. And, a lot, and we played off a lot in that initial meeting where, where O'Rourke is the one who gives the smile and says, no, I'm, no need to apologize. Yep. I got two kids. Yep. And we also wanted to use that moment. So she... Yeah. relaxes a bit and will allow us inside. Right. Because, uh, you know, and, and, and just to relate as a human. So I think, yeah, there. I think that was something that O'Rourke did from the start. And I went with that. Yeah. And, and uh, I think there were, there, there were also some other parts which were cut from the script where we talk, I talk about um, when, when Henry goes upstairs, I say, how, how old is your kid? And, and then I talk about my kids and, um, and how they go to their room and don't come out for a decade. Um, all of that was was cut before it was even shot. We just wanted to streamline it. But but O'Rourke, I thought was yeah. To answer your question more succinctly, it was the good cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though he was a little good, as in uh, more affable, because he, uh, Mendoza's probably the better cop. I think, but but O'Rourke's probably the more approachable, down to earth cop. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. So on that note, who was your favorite actor on The Undoing to share a scene with? Well, I, I have to say uh, Nicole Kidman uh, and Edgar, just because <laughs> for a number of reasons. One, because she's Nicole Kidman. Right, <laughs> naturally. Right, and two, it's just because of the, the weight of those scenes that really, uh, you know, allowed us to, to, to bring some intensity and, and actually do some acting chops. I've been in scenes with 
really big A-list actors, but I didn't have that much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least, you know, to, uh, to the point where we, you know, we, we got that deep and, and, uh, I learned some, uh, you know, acting techniques and just how deep or how much emotional preparation one needs to apply to a scene like that and, and what the rewards might be. So as an actor acting opposite Nicole Kidman was in, in, insanely uh, amazing and, and rewarding and Edgar too. And in fact, there was a, there was a moment where uh, Edgar talked about how, isn't it just amazing when all of this just disappears around us? And Nicole was saying too, that you just, you get so deep within the scene that, you know, the hundred people who are staring at you um, and, or they're, you know, one foot away from your face, all of that disappears. And I, I, all I was able to say was, I just can't believe I'm here. Uh, and, and then that was, that actually, that was true. I probably was maybe a bit unprofessional to say, but I did, I, 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 and there were times where, you know, when you're acting opposite someone of her caliber, where it it did, everything just disappeared and she really brought you there. Yeah. So, and, and she was so giving too, as an actor, there was, there's a scene where, um, actually it's where we're searching the apartment. And it was, I think we were doing like Grace's point of view. And I think I, all I had to do, I didn't even have to say anything. I had to hand over the search warrant, but Nicole was behind the camera and she wanted to give me eye lines. So I knew where to look and she had no dialogue for that single shot either, but she gave this cute little wave just so I can see where she was. And so that I could make eye contact with her. And that was so giving as an actor, wow. especially, yeah, as someone from of her caliber, she didn't even need to be there. I could have, they could have put a, put a piece of tape on the camera. Um, but she gave me that wave. So I knew where she was and that I, I was comfortable looking at her. So not only is she, is she so good, but she's just so giving and it gave me wow. so much to, to act opposite. And it, uh, I mean, it's a long winded answer to, to your question, but there's so many reasons why she and Edgar were just phenomenal. To work with. Oh, that's so cool. That's really cool. So what would you say is the most memorable moment or the biggest takeaway overall from your experience of filming The Undoing? Oh, it's tough because it's such a collective um, and, uh, you know, moment for me that was, there's so many things, even just from booking that role to to working with everyone, the whole experience from start to finish. And then, and to be involved in a project for its entire shoot, even that, had its rewards. So they the whole experience. And there were, there were so many moments that made up that collective experience that uh, looking back, there's just too much to name one moment. Uh, but um, yeah, it just, it's just, it's such a collective experience. And I, and I moved forward as, as a better actor. And there was a moment I actually got to tell Nicole that toward the end, we, we uh, Joe just, we were shooting up in Kingston for the bridge scenes. And uh, she threw us a little party in a restaurant. And I, and I got a few moments to where we could, we're finally, we're not in character. We're not antagonistic. And I got to say, <laughs> and, I, and I got to say, thank you. Cause I, and I honestly, and I, I was sincere when I said, I leave here as a better actor. Uh, so that was sort of just the culmination of, of the collective experience. Wow, that's so special. Yeah. Very cool. So obviously we're in COVID times now and everything is upended, but is there anything in the pipeline that you're excited about? Anything that you can share that's that's headed your way that we might catch you in soon i have a small part in fact uh you won't even see me you'll hear me in the woman in the window with amy adams oh i have uh, my voice is in that 
You've got yeah. a great voice. <laughs> I, and I, well, especially when I played a cop role and I start talking like this, that's what I really, <laughs> the same casting director. They asked me, they did some reshoots, reshoots and said, can you come in? And there's a scene where she calls the police, but it's a few pages of dialogue. So I have a nice, uh, nice scene with Amy Adams and the woman in the window, which I think is going to Netflix. And then there's a couple other things in the works. And then uh, I've actually rounded the corner on my second album, which has been 10 years in the making. Wow. So, Finally, it's it's just about done, and and so probably in the spring I'm going to release that. Just waiting for the right time. Oh, that's very, well. You got to let us know. We'll make sure we uh, yeah do lots of plug. That it's very exciting. Will do. Thank you. That'd be great. Did you film in the spring? We were trying to figure out because you know with the like changing of the seasons, we were trying to figure out like when this was filmed, and obviously with COVID and everything too, we were like, was this last year? Was it? We hit almost every. Almost every season. We started uh, in March of 2019. Yep. And we finished in the first week of July. So we, we covered almost That's all the seasons quick. there. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, that bridge, it was like 100 degrees out there. You can't really tell. But uh, <laughs> we, we started and there was real snow on the ground. And then we had to use some fake snow on the ground. And then uh, those, yeah, those shots of spring, those were all real. And uh, yeah, so we, we, we just touched on summer. It was great. Oh, I have a random quick question. Sure. Was the helicopter legit? Was that a real helicopter that you flew in? Or was that just getting out of it? I was interested in that one. It was real. In fact, and I was shocked that HBO allowed us to do this, but Edgar and I got in the helicopter and then we, we did a, a U-turn and, and reset. This was the, the, for the beach house, not yes. for the um, bridge. And uh, in, in fact, I, I shot a little video, which if you want to link to, I, I, I have it yeah. on... I guess it's on Twitter or maybe Instagram, but I have, I, I held up my phone when we just reset. And then, so we, we landed in the helicopter and then we got out of it. And uh, That's very uh, cool. so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe HBO allowed us to do that. I mean, they made us to get, I had to get a physical before we even started. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, so I'm surprised their insurance allowed, allowed us to do that. Yeah. Well, we definitely like, this is, very cool. We're like, this yeah. has got to be a big budget. We've had like three different helicopters. Mm -hmm. We were the first shot in the the party with it was done with the helicopter. You can tell when Nicole's standing in the window. You got you guys coming out of a helicopter. You've got the helicopter on the bridge. I'm like, this is a HBO budget for sure. <laughs> yes. In fact, I remember the helicopters being the, this. The ending was tweaked a little bit, and I remember the helicopters being added. And I also okay. thought it was kind of cool because it's almost indicative or symbolic of a ride you know you're i just i felt like the the helicopters maybe it was just me reading into it but the the whole show reminds me of like a roller coaster or a ride i keep saying mm. enjoy the ride yeah so i thought the helicopters were kind of suggestive of, of the ride itself that's really smart yeah and it definitely yeah. felt like a roller coaster i mean we were all over the place i don't think we've ever been so far off sometimes at one point we were like did connie chung do it <laughs> <We were> just... <laughs> she she may have yeah the stress of watching that last episode, I think those last 15 minutes were, I, I mean, I was just sitting there like this <laughs> the whole time, jaw <laughs> dropped. Um, I really good, didn't see good. any of that coming. So, um, and I pride myself on always knowing. I feel like I'm always the person who's like, <laughs> that person did it. They did it. I know. I, I watch Law and Order all the time. So I felt like I had this. And of course, I did not see it coming. So I failed. <laughs> the show succeeded who, yeah. who expects like we said earlier who expects no twist in a show full of twists 
That's the, that was the only thing to do, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that you say that, it makes perfect sense. It's like, well, of course, like the whole show was set up to subvert your expectations. So then, of course, it would make sense that the ultimate subversion is for it to not be a twist. And the guilty person was the guilty one all along. Well, if you're struggling with the ending, I think that helps you to think of it that way. Absolutely. I was just going to say that. In, in fact, a lot of those who were expecting the twist and didn't get it, those are probably the ones who felt a bit let down where it was or anticlimactic. But in, in reality, there was a great quote from Susanna Beer about how there, it's, it's clearly a whodunit, but yet at the end of the day, it's really not. It's a story about this psychopath and how he's fooled not only everyone in his life, including his wife, but he's fooled the viewers as well. Yeah. So it's almost a study in the psychopathy and how we too were, were, were fooled by this guy's charm. And who, who else could play a role about someone being charming except Hugh Grant? It was just so perfect. And in fact, when we shot that last scene, we shot it at various levels of his uh, of psychopath for him. And we, they landed in the middle. Yeah, right. they, so there was should. more psycho? Oh there, that, that was the was middle. The middle? middle. And we shot a scene where I was genuinely terrified. Because one of the things that made Suzanne so good at what she did, she would always whisper into the other actor's ear. And we knew something was coming, but we wouldn't know what. So our reaction would be organic to it. I saw her whispering into Hugh's ear. And then the next thing you know, he gave us this look, which was terrifying. And I... I, and I it was that moment where I kind of go, oh, oh my God, he, 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 he's capable. And, and I, I saw this person's being capable. Ultimately, I don't think that take made it, but it, it was genuinely frightening. And, it was, wow. and it, was, it was awesome. I was kind of hoping it would. But I guess, I don't know when they played it back. Maybe they thought it was, it was over, the, over the top. Uh, at least it read that way. But in person, I'm, I, was, I, was, I was shocked. I, I even told him, like, that was, that was frightening. <laughs> Is he a method actor too? Does he stay in character or is he going in and out more so than Nicole? He seemed to have gone in and out, but also the scenes that I shared with him, we didn't really need to get too deep. And I also, yeah. I found him to be super down to earth. Really? And as I was saying during the courtroom was, was the, one of my first days on set and he, he was so cool. He actually came up to me and said, uh, hello, and you're one of the cops. And uh, I was like, yeah, Mike. And, and from that moment on, every time he saw me, he said, hello, Mike. And, and I was so flattered that he just, he called me by my name. And, and uh, it, it was, it was, I, I really was, a, it was a nice moment. And then, and then uh, every now and then we, we'd, we'd get to chatting. And uh, so I really felt down to earth with him. But no, he wasn't, uh, luckily in, in the scenes that I shared with him, he didn't need to go that deep. Wow. Ex except of course, except of course on the bridge. That was, that was different. <laughs> yeah. My God. Wow. It sounds like you had a really lovely relationship with the whole cast and you guys all really kind of got on and had a nice little community there. It's, it sounds really special. We really did. In fact, Edgar and I got to spend a little bit of time before we shot some, you know, some of the, uh, the heavier scenes. So we got to get to know each other and we, we actually went to, a, I took him to a precinct and we spent some time with the detectives of the, of the 23rd precinct, which is where oh, we're cool. assigned in the show. So we got to sit with some detectives and, and uh, it was funny because this one uh, female detective was just in, in love with him. And, and, and <laughs> she, 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 she tried not to let it show, but, but she was the one she was showing him interviews that she had or interrogations that she had done. But every now and then you can just see her going, oh, her, her, her jaw would drop and, she's, and uh, she had to con contain herself. But, but it was great for Edgar to see because we spent a lot of time with cops of 
so many different personalities. And uh, and during that time, Edgar and I got got the bond bond as well. So it was. It's, I think someone has told us that it kind of read that we did seem you know like like partners in, in real life. Oh yeah. yeah, no, oh, absolutely. Good. It really seemed, I mean, that's why I mentioned the kind of like good cop, bad cop things. It seemed like you guys had a rapport that existed beyond the show. It was really organic. It was very cool. Yeah. And we've, we've actually, we, we stayed, uh, we've stayed in touch. We're always texting. And, and, uh, that's so yeah, lovely. I mean, it is lovely. And I, I made some lot of really good connections on that show. Well, Michael, thank you so much. This has been such a treat to be able to talk to you. Uh, I'm just going to plug quickly. You should buy Michael's album, Songs of Valor and Hope, on iTunes and make sure to follow him on Michael P. Divine. And if there's anything else, oh, keep an eye out for uh, his audio coming at you at The Woman in the Window. Thank you, Michael. This has been so oh, great. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate yeah. it. And I, I've loved your analysis these last, uh, these last few episodes. I've really enjoyed it. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. This has been so special, and I can't wait to see what you do next. And let us know Thank if you. you end up in Les Mis, we'll be there, your cheering section. <laughs> um, one day, one day. I hope. One day more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. This was awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Big Little Podcast. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming one of our valued podcast supporters at www.thebiglittlepodcast.com or just leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Can't get enough of us? Follow us on social media at Big Little Podcast for exclusive content in between new episodes.